0: It's my privilege to be here this morning and be able to speak to you again. Uh, let me uh, mention to you that I appreciate, Niall, you guys going for an uh, ice camp. I just think that's wonderful. When I pastored in California uh, in the uh, summertime, it would be 95 to 100 degrees. And so I told our youth pastor, I will go to camp in the summer. It was in Idaho Mountain. And it was about 75 up there. When winter camp rolled around, I told him, as the pastor of the church, I want you to go up there in the winter camp. And the reason being, there was always snow and it was cold and the whole nine yards. So I would stay in the lodge with the other counselors and other people. And I would have the youth pastor to stay with the kids. I thought that was his calling. So uh, I appreciated that. (laughs) I've never been real good on this ice stuff, this cold stuff. I don't know about the rest of you. And then I married a desert woman, and boy, she's not any good at that kind of stuff. But at uh, any rate, I appreciate Nile and pray that God will guide as uh takes her kids up there. That'll be a good time and a time of refreshing and a time of growth for our young people. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me this morning to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Jane and I have been reading through the Gospel of John. John is one of my my favorite of the Gospels. And I think one of the reasons is, is because John makes it very very clear about both the uh, humanity of Christ, but also the deity of Christ. See, I think we as Christians have to understand that the Jesus that we serve is both man and God all in one. His humanity is seen so clearly, but also he kept emphasizing the fact that he was God having come in human form. In fact, if you would go to the first chapter of John's gospel, you will remember that John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He tells us later that all things were made by him and without him there was nothing made that was made. So John wants us to understand as we began that Jesus has always been. There was never a time when Jesus was not, but Jesus has always been there with the Father. And so it's interesting to me that we understand that John wants us to know that in the beginning, Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. But John also wants us to understand that he was not only with God, but he was God as well. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've had a struggle sometimes with the Trinity. Anybody else have a struggle with that? And you know what's interesting? We're not the only ones. I always love to read the books and the commentaries about the Trinity. And everybody struggles in trying to explain what the Trinity is all about. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? All one God, yet we see these identities of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I've struggled with that. The rest of you, I have not got the answer yet. But I believe in it because the Bible teaches it. Is that fair enough? I accept the very fact that there is the Father, the Son, and and, and the Holy Spirit. But I'll be honest with you, I've also had some struggles with the idea of really fully comprehending, fully understanding how Jesus is God, God is Jesus, one God, the Bible makes that clear to us, only one God, there are not many gods, there's only one, but we know him as Father, but we also know him as the Son. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So so John wanted us to realize that when we look at Jesus, we have to see him as being divine. We have to see him as being God, having come in human form. And then John goes on, the second chapter of John, to show us that this Jesus was a miracle worker. He was able to take buckets full of water and turn them into wine. I'm in these big old vessels full. And, and, and first thing you know, they said, this is the best wine we've ever had. This is better than anything we've ever had in the past. Jesus performed the miraculous. And then if you remember, in the third chapter, we find Nicodemus approaching Jesus. Remember that? And Nicodemus came to him and said, no one can do these miracles that you do except God be with them. There's no way that you could do these things if it were not for the power of God. So they recognized, Nicodemus recognized, that Jesus was indeed a miracle worker, but he realized that he had to be God, having come in human form. But also in the third chapter, we go on to find that um, Jesus... In all the works that he was doing, folks were just flocking to him. And and folks were getting saved and putting their lives in his hands. And and so some uh, some of the followers of John the Baptist came and said, My word, this Jesus, he's stealing all of your disciples. People are beginning to follow you. And of course, remember what John said? This my joy. Therefore his fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. I'll never forget. Frank, I was, I was sitting in my little cubicle office that I had in my house. And the first time that that ever hit me, I knew that God had called me to preach. I knew that was God's hand upon me, that that was, you know, that was a calling for my life. I knew that. But when I read John When they were saying to John, this Jesus is stealing the disciples. Everybody's following him. And John said, that's okay with me. He's got to increase, but I've got to decrease. And it's just like God spoke to me in that little cubicle in my bedroom. Dalmas, that's exactly how it's got to be. God has to increase, but Dalmas Meeks has to decrease. Is that fair enough? So here he was in the land of Judea. Followers of John were questioning this man Jesus and what all was going on. So Jesus then was determined that he would leave Judea and he would head north to Galilee. Now it was not common for a Jewish boy or a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish leader to go through Samaria. In fact, they would circle around Samaria. Because they felt that if you go through Samaria, you're tainting yourself. These people are not the best in the world, and you don't want anything to do with these these Samaritans. So Jesus was determined, though, that he would go through Samaria. I love this. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Listen to this. It says, Jesus, verse 4, But he needed to go through Samaria. Oh, they heard that he baptized more than John, but even though he himself didn't baptize anybody, but if all of this, he left Judea, he departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. You know what? As I read that, it's just kind of interesting Normally, I mentioned earlier, that Jewish boys wouldn't go through Samaria. These were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, just a bunch of ungodly folk. And by the way, folks just didn't want to be around them, because if you go through there, you would be spiritually unclean just to go through there. But Jesus, the Bible said, needed, needed to go through Samaria. Why? he had an appointment that he had to keep. Now, the one he had an appointment with didn't know they had an appointment, but Jesus had an appointment that he was going to keep. And see, if Jesus has an appointment, it makes no difference to him what the world might think. It makes no difference to him what the religious hierarchy might think. It makes no difference to him what anyone else thought. He was not here to please the hierarchy. He was not here to please anyone but to do the Father's will. Can I ask you something? Is that the passion of your heart and mine? Is our passion to do the Father's will? It's a desire of our heart to serve the Lord regardless of what the world might think, regardless of what the religious group might think. Let me tell you, Jesus had his hands full with the religious folk, not the sinners. It was the religious folk that gave Jesus his most problems. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like the direction he was going in, so they were always criticizing him. But Jesus was determined he would do the will of the Father. So he said he must needs go through Samaria. I read one commentator that said that uh, likely the reason was is because he had such a short time and he knew it and the shortest distance between uh, Judea and Galilee was to go through Samaria. So he wanted to hurry up and go through Samaria so he could get on with his work. My friends, I'm here to tell you it was not because he had a compassion or because he had the the impulse that he had to, to hurry up and get someplace else. The reason was he had a work to do in Samaria. A hated people, a rejected people, a despised people. But you know what, folks? People who are hated, rejected, not religious, they need Jesus. They need a relationship with the Son of God, don't they? So the Bible says that he needed to go through Samaria. Makes no difference what the attitude of anybody might be. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Listen to this. Jesus was tired, but he was the son of God. He was God having human come in human form. But yet Jesus, my friends, was also 100% human. He got tired. He was exhausted. So he sat there by Jacob's well. By the way, same area the Bible just said that that actually Jacob had given to to Joseph. The area that Jacob had given to Joseph. And by the way, likely the area that Joseph was, was buried in. He died in Egypt, but he said, "Take my body back," and they went back and he was likely buried right there in that area. so Jacob's well was very popular among the Jews, very popular among the Samaritans, but they also say that very popular even among the Muslim people. so when you talk about Jacob's well, it was something that uh, uh, that, that Muslims and jews and 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 even ultimately Gentiles, and and, and especially the the Samaritans, they were also attached to that place. And Jesus was sitting there at the well. Now, kind of interesting, I had 12 12 disciples, and, and those 12 disciples were with Jesus on this entire journey. But look what it says here, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, his disciples had already gone into the city to buy food, and Jesus was left there at the well. I I don't know. It just hit me. I wonder why all 12 of them went into the city. I don't know. But there's no particular reason that all 12 would have to go into the city to buy food. Some could have stayed there with Jesus at the well. But I'm going to tell you, I believe God intended that all 12 of them go into the city and leave Jesus by himself. Because he had a work that had to be done. And there'd be no discouragement. Because I'm going to tell you, immediately those disciples, if they would have seen that woman walking to them, which we're going to talk about, if they had seen her, could very well uh, kind of upset them. So Jesus was there. The disciples had, uh, had gone into the city because they were tired, they were hungry, and they were going to buy food so that Jesus would also be able to eat with them. But there was a woman of Samaria who came to draw water. And Jesus said, give me a drink. Those disciples had gone to the city. Now think about this. This was was likely high noon. This was in the heat of the day. Uh, Normally, the the women from Samaria or any other area where you would go to a well to draw water, they would come early in the morning when it was cool. Or they would come later in the day when it had cooled. But this woman came alone at high noon. Now, the reason was that she likely was avoiding the other women because they would have avoided her. She, she was a woman who did not have a good name in town. She, she was a woman of immorality. She, she was a woman that would likely was despised by others. And therefore, she would come at midday. She would come in the heat of the day so that no one would be there to ridicule her or to cause her any kind of conflict whatsoever. Here she comes in the heat of the day to draw water. But little did she know that as she came to the well that day, there was someone who had an appointment with her that very day. Folks, I'm going to tell you, don't you for one moment believe that Jesus did not know what was going to take place. Don't you for one moment believe that Jesus just happened to be at the well when the woman came to draw water. Don't you believe for one moment it was any kind of an accident. I want you to know something. There are no accidents with God. There are no accidents with God. Jesus knew what was going to take place. I believe that day he knew what was going to take place. Because don't forget he was God. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. So he knew. So here in the heat of the day, a woman comes, and she's there to draw water. Not a normal, everyday woman from Samaria, but, but a woman... That likely came to be out of eyesight of everyone else that day. Likely a woman who had been ridiculed, maybe a woman who had been mocked, but a woman who came that day, that very day, because she had an appointment that she did not know she had. But Jesus had an appointment that he already knew about. As I read this passage, I don't know, this last week, because if you remember when we started Harvest Time, some of you were with us in the beginning, That there was a key verse from John chapter 4. Remember that? The fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. I'll pray that this Lord of harvest is going to send these laborers into the vineyard because the passion of the church and the passion of the heart of the church ought to be uh, to win people to Christ and then to disciple those who have come to know the Savior. That should be the passion of the heart of the church. Now Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And she said, how is it that you being a Jew would ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? We know that the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. (laughs) You know what? There's always been prejudice. Always has been prejudice. Some of you would have to admit, you have some prejudiced things about you. It did not make any difference whether it's prejudice, uh, black, white, Hispanic, black, Hispanic, white, whatever it is. But but so often there is this this prejudice in the hearts of people. But then there are other times when it's not just prejudice because of of racial problems, but sometimes it is prejudice because of who they are and what their background is and, and what their moral values are. Some of you heard me tell the story when I was pastoring in, in southern Missouri, and of course I've told it so many times, but we had a gal in our, church, in our community, her name was Sadie Hawkins. Remember I mentioned Sadie? Her name, that's her name, Sadie Hawkins. And, and she was so immoral. I mean, she had had immoral relationships with so many men in, in that area that everybody knew that Sadie was not the best woman to be around. But we had an old preacher named Brother Alphas Caps. He was my buddy. I I tell you what, I would sit at his feet and just learn and learn and learn because he's such a great old man of God. And one day, God got a hold of his heart, and he wondered, I wonder if anybody has ever told Sadie about Jesus. I wonder if anybody has ever tried to lead her to the Lord. And he said, God got a hold of him that day. He went out to her home, knowing that there may be people who would criticize him. There would be people who say, What is Alpha's Caps doing at such a woman's house? You can hear her, can't you? But he came out there to tell her about Jesus. That day, Sadie Hawkins gave her heart to Jesus. She gave her heart to Jesus. And, and brother Alphys of course had that heart for her and that passion for her to be saved and she got saved and sometime after that she came down with cancer and, and asked me to sing at her, at her funeral and I remember the song was it is no secret what God can do what he's done for others he'll do for you with arms wide open he'll pardon you it is no secret what God can do because Sadie Hawkins knew that as immoral and ungodly and filthy as her life might have been Jesus didn't care he loved her, and he saved her, and he changed her life, and she wanted the world to know that she now belonged to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? See, see, some of us, if we know that someone is immoral, if we know that somebody has got some real struggles with alcohol or drugs or whatever, sometimes we we, we just don't want to be around them. We just don't want to take a chance of it tainting our pure, holy lives. I had a family tell me one time, and I hope it wasn't one of you because I can't remember, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't go to family reunions because that, that, a lot of them drank quite a bit, and they just didn't want to be around that for, for their sake. And I thought, you know what? How are you going to ever win them to Jesus if you don't show them and you can be different? I mean, that's my opinion. But Brother Cap's letter to Jesus, and her life was changed. Let me ask you something. Is there somebody that you're prejudiced against? Is there somebody that perhaps you just the way they live and, 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 and the kind of person they are that you think within yourself, I, I just don't want to be around them. I just don't have anything to do with them. I'm going to tell you, somebody has got to be around them somebody's got to tell them, of somebody who loves them. And I'm going to tell you folks, only Jesus can transform lives and take folks who are on their road to hell and turn the road around and head them toward glory because Jesus can change them, save their lives, transform their very being. Only Jesus can do that. And then Jesus said to this woman, ma'am, would you care to go back and call your husband. I'd like to talk to him. She said, Lord, I don't have a husband. <laughs> said, boy, you said right. You've had five of them. And now you live with somebody that's not your husband, not even married to him. So, so here, a woman had been married five times. I, I don't know about you, but you know what my first thought was? Rejection. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of life she lived. Okay. But what I see is a woman that has gone through five marital breakups. As a pastor here, and we've dealt with people who've had to go through marriage breakups. And I don't give a hoot. Who is the one that's guilty? There's always an effect on everybody. There's an effect on them. There's an effect on family. There's an effect all the way around, isn't there? Anytime there's a breakup, five different breakups, five different marriages, five different men that were once in her life that are no longer there, no doubt in my life, she felt rejection. She knew what it was to be hurt and have to struggle. She knew what it was. she knew now, now she was living with somebody that she wasn't even married to. And I'm sorry, if you're living with someone you're not married to, that's not the same as marriage. That's rebellion. That's going against God. I mean, just to be blunt and honest with you. And so Jesus was saying, you've had five husbands. Now you're living with somebody you're not even married to. Them. Boy, this gal was shook up. She was shook up. How could this man know that about her? I'll tell you how he could know about her. Because he's God. He knows our heart. He knows our struggles. He knows everything that's going on in my life and yours. He knows everything about us. This is the Jesus. This is the God that we serve and that we honor. But I want you to know something else. He is also the God. He is also the Jesus that we honor who loved her. Five marital breakups. But Jesus was there to tell her, somebody loves you. And he talked about putting in her a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Lord, how can you do that? Because he was talking about his presence through the sweet Holy Spirit that was to come, that would dwell in the hearts of those who are believers Springing up to ever. Last. Listen, when Jesus does something, he doesn't do it half-heartedly. When Jesus does something, it's everlasting life, not temporary, but permanent. That's what Jesus wanted to do in that new woman's life. He wanted her to understand that regardless of what you've been through, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the struggles of your life, I want you to know something. I love you, and I have hope for you this day, and it can be life eternal. Isn't that wonderful? So here was a woman. Rejected. By the way, it's clear coming in the middle of the day. She was rejected by her neighbors. It's clear that having gone through five marriages, she was rejected by men. It's clear that she may have known something about worship, but she had never met the Savior. And now, Jesus had an appointment, and he kept that appointment. And that dear lady ran back into the city and she said, Come. I want you to see a man that has told me everything that ever I have done. Is this not the Messiah? Isn't this him? And she runs to the city, and the city comes in great droves to meet this man, Jesus. He stayed with them extra time because of the witness of a woman who had met Jesus by appointment at Jacob's well, and her life was transformed, and she was ready for others to know him too. I don't know, but I have a sneaky suspicion. Now, I don't know this. I can't back this up. But I have a sneaky suspicion that she probably went to some of those men she was married to. See, he knew all about this. He knew you were once my husband. He knew once you belonged to me. But he's told me everything. You've got to come. You've got to come. May I tell you, in closing, what better? Frank, you should have told me about the time. was a little close there. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus, oh, he's concerned about what you've done. He doesn't want us to live in sin. That's not what he wants. But I'll guarantee you, I don't care what you've done. I have a Savior who can forgive you, who can cleanse you, who can make you whiter than snow. Amen? And see, that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the Son of God, God, who had come in human form. That's who He is. He loves sinners. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible said He came to seek, and He came to save that which was lost. Dear lady, we don't know your name. Jesus never asked your name, but he searched your heart and he cared about a heart that was vile and filthy. But let me tell you something. All we have sinned We've all come short of God's glory. Boy, there's not one of us righteous. Not even one you might think you are, but you ain't. Sorry about that. Not one of us is righteous. I know school teachers, I'm sorry, poor grammar. apologize for that. But it still ain't the same, okay. But he came to seek and to save the lost. I can take you back through my years of pastoring. And I could show you people after people strung out on drugs get saved and their lives are transformed by the power of Jesus. I've seen those who would drunk every Friday and Saturday night be cleansed and saved by the grace of God. We serve a Savior who loves people. And he saves sinners. Only you know your own heart. I mean, if you've never trusted Christ, it's not for us to judge what you have done or what you're about to do. That's not the case. It is for us to tell you of someone who loves you and wants to save you. came to realize a long time ago, it's not about the label out there on the door. It's the change of the heart that makes the difference. The change of the heart that makes the difference. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. For God so loved that He gave. That if you believe in Him, trust in Him, He'll give us life everlasting. Isn't that wonderful? Everlasting life. Father in heaven, search our our hearts right now. God, God, you know my life. You know my heart. Father, you know the hearts of every single person sitting here right now in this auditorium. There may be some here today, Lord, I don't know, who have never trusted you, who have never asked Jesus to come into their life, who have never confessed their sin and asked Christ to save them and forgive them. Uh, Oh, this forgiveness, Father, it comes because you love us. You you don't want us to die in our sins. You you don't want us to to live in that same sin. You want us to be forgiven and cleansed, made whiter than snow. Oh, your word says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, as wool. You're in the cleaning up, cleansing business and the giving of brand new lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know today, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I know that this preacher, Aaron, and the rest of us are more than glad to sit with you. And and by the way, if you realize God spoke to your heart today and you want to come even now, Publicly declare your faith in Christ. Do that. Do that as others would pray for you.